Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. So, the Utah Jazz open the reopen the season with a win. Now, there's a lot going on. Obviously, the teams kneel. They didn't really kneel around the Black Lives Matter. It was more like everybody in both traveling parties from one baseline to the other. It wasn't just players. It wasn't just players and coaches. Uh, you can see the Jazz general manager, Justin Zanuck, Aaron Falk, who's been on our show and is doing media work for utahjazz.com. Uh, it was just basically both teams, both or- not even teams, like organizations. They're only allowed 35 people in the bubble. Uh, the night that the Jazz were in Oklahoma City and the season ended, there were 58 people in the Jazz traveling party. So 35 is kind of slim, but it looked like everybody was out there. And then the game started and all that melted away. And... New Orleans got off to a great start, and I know we've been talking about replacing Bogdanovich's points. And, uh, you know, there's a lot to that discussion. We, we, can, <laughs> we can hit that and all that, but I think the thing Quinn Snyder's talking to the team about is you won the game because you gave up 17 points in the fourth quarter. You were in trouble because you gave up 60 points in the first half, and the Jazz were down 60-48 to 48 at halftime, down by 12. But they gave up 44 points in the second half and 17 in the fourth quarter. That is an excellent quarter defensively. That was the only quarter in the teens for either team. Uh, uh, just excellent. Now, you know, there's a lot going on as far as the obvious about um, – you know, the Jazz picking up the points with Bogdanovich gone. You know, 106 is not a big number. So you'd have to say, well, some of the points just didn't get picked up. You know, I think we're going to end up seeing a lot of games where 115 is the winning number. This or 120. This was a much lower scoring game. But they did get 20 from Conley. They got 20 from Mitchell. And they got 23 from Jordan Clarkson. Conley went off in the first half. Mitchell went off in the second. This was a classic. This was a classic. Donovan Mitchell starts slowly. And he's two of seven at one point when I was looking at the box score in the first half. And he finishes six of 14. And he got to the line. And I think we have to start looking at that. If you haven't already, you need to start looking at how many free throws does Donovan shoot? Because if he is going to up his scoring, if he's going to be a big-time player, get to the line. Those are the easiest points. There's a, reason, there's a reason Harden's yelling and flopping and flailing his arms. And the free throw line, those are the easiest points. And Harden's been averaging 10 free throws a game for a while now. And actually, this year, it's up a little bit. I think it's around 11 or 12. And Donovan was at four free throws a game. I mean, he's got to get up to seven, eight, nine free throws a game. And he did it. He did it in that game against New Orleans. He was 6-7 at the free throw line. So he got his 20 points, and uh, Clarkson got his 23 off the bench, and Conley had 20. So those were the guys with the points. Uh, other guys did chip in. Not much from the bench. George Niang was 0-6. And he was 0 for 3 from 3. Clarkson was 1 of 8 from 3. So I think those guys, um, you know, look for, going forward, look for them to shoot it better. The Jazz did not win this game because they drilled three-pointers. You know, they, they, <laughs> they won with the defense in the fourth quarter. And they were 8 of 34 for 23.5%. That is not a good number from three. You know, and it wasn't just those guys I talked about. I mean, Clarkson's 1 for 8 and Yang's 1 0 for 3. Those aren't good. Uh, Moutier was 0 for 2. And Royce O'Neal and Mike Conley were both 2 for 7. So the Jazz will have better nights shooting the 3, and presumably that can power them to win, but they found a way to win on a night they didn't shoot a well from 3. Now, part of the game plan is who do you let have the shots? Who do you help off of? Who do you encourage to shoot? And we all know Lonzo Ball has a reputation as a bad shooter. Right, He sees the floor, he's got some size, he can pass the ball, but he just can't shoot it. So, 
Encourage him to take shots. Never, ever help on him. Don't double on him. If you have to help off him, fine. Let the ball rotate to the open man. Let the open man be Lorenzo, Lorenzo, Lonzo Ball, Lorenzo, Lonzo Ball, and, and let him let it rip from 20 or 25 feet. He ends up 2 of 13 shooting and 0 of 4 from 3, and he missed both his free throws. That is awful. But he took 13 shots, so great. Let him let him go. Now, he had a seven assists, and he's got some size, and he got his six rebounds. But, man, two for 13? you got, you got to encourage that guy to shoot. Uh, Zion Williamson scored, but he didn't do much else. For a guy with his athletic ability and his size, now they had him on a minutes restriction. He only played 15 minutes. Um, but he didn't have a rebound, and he only had one assist. You know, you, you got to do other stuff to help your team win. They were actually outscored by 16 points when he was on the floor. I know there are a lot of people wondering, why isn't he out there at the end of the game? And it is a little odd, you know, with the 15 minutes, why not put some at the end of the game? you got so many minutes there. But, man, you see, the, you see that he literally had the worst plus minus on the team. You're thinking, well, he didn't get a rebound. Maybe he wasn't the perfect guy to be out there at the end of the game. Uh, and a lot of times when they really limit the minutes, you know, in that 15-minute neighborhood, they just wanted to play at the start of each half when it really warmed up. And then once they're out for the half, that's it. So I don't know that it would – I mean, if he'd been in great shape and, you know, had a big game and been able to play 30 minutes, yes, he could have made a difference. But the way things are going last night, I don't know that a few minutes at the end of the game would have made a difference, um, you know. Maybe they would have. Uh, they relied on Brandon Ingram, who had 23 points. Drew Holiday had 20. And, uh, you know, those those are the guys who really kind of drove it for them. And they got Redick off the bench. Boy, he got on a roll one point in the game. Didn't seem like he was going to miss. He finished with 21 points. They were coming down in transition. The Jazz seemed awfully slow to find him. He's like, it's like the number one. Well, I guess the number one thing you have to do is find the first guy down the floor and make sure he doesn't get a layup or a dunk. Because guys shoot 100% on uncontested layups and dunks, right? But after that, you got to find Redick. I mean, he's going to come down. He's going to hunt a three-point. And you got to find him. You can't wait to meet him at the three-point line. And he, he played with the Sixers, right? The Sixers famously put down a four-point line at practice to help spread the floor. And he was back behind that thing firing away. So you have got to find him at half court. Because if you wait to find him at the three-point line, you're going to be watching him shoot a three-pointer open from a couple steps behind the three-point line. And he's just going to drain it. Uh, but they did a better job on him. And they won the fourth quarter, 27-17, man. Uh, a couple generations ago, Magic Johnson called it winning time. You know, you can struggle however you want early in the game. If you bring it at the end and you win when the pressure's the greatest, and Donovan Mitchell scored a bunch of points down the stretch and also got easy points for teammates, including, with the game on the line, tied at 104, he found Rudy, and Rudy made both his free throws. Rudy finished four for five at the free throw line. And we've been talking about, you know, can Rudy score more points? And you, you got to make your free throws. Those are easy points. He did it. Four for five, 80%. Who wouldn't sign off on Rudy Gobert, 80% free throw shooter right now? You would pretty much sign off on anybody in the league. 80% is a good number. Obviously, there's some guys you wouldn't, you know, because Steph Curry can shoot 85 or 90%. So you wouldn't, you wouldn't take 80 from him because that would be low for him. But for the vast majority of the league. 80%. Absolutely. And, you know, can Gobert sustain that? Or is he going to go out there and, you know, have a two for five night and be right back to being a 60, 60% free throw shooter? You know, time will tell. We'll see how that'll play out. But it doesn't feel like the Jazz played their best game, you know, but they played a game where they got better throughout it and they were really good in the fourth quarter. If you only watch some stretches in the first half, you'd be like, Psh. 
these guys are done. Three and five in a regular season. They're going to lose in the first round in four or five games. Because that's kind of how stretches of the first half looked. But we've been talking about this. They haven't played for four months, so you got to keep getting better. And whatever you do, you got to improve. Nobody is playing well enough in the scrimmages to win the championship at that level of play. So whether it's the Bucks, the Lakers, the Clippers, and the Lakers did beat the Clippers later uh, in the other game. Um, whether it's the Bucks, Lakers, or Clippers, or you like, I don't know, you like a dark horse, you like the Celtics or the Rockets or the Raptors, whoever, everybody's got to be getting better. And the Jazz did over the course of the game, hung in there and... Uh, and, and got better, in, including Gobert. You know, there was a moment in the game where I thought of Jerry Sloan, right? The Jazz first game since the uh, legendary coach passed away. And he used to always say, don't play backwards. Don't play backwards. I don't want you to play backwards. You don't want to, you think about one mistake, you're still, still thinking about it, so you make another. Gobert got a rebound with about a minute and a half to go in the game. And he looked to his left, he looked to his right, and both guys he was going to throw the ball to for the outlet pass were defended. You know, the Pelicans took it away to slow the breakdown. And so the middle of the floor was open, so Rudy decided to dribble. And he got to the top of the key. And he got to midcourt, and you're like, nah, nah, this is going to be a problem. <laughs> and he's kind of slowing down, so you knew there were people in front of him. Sure enough, someone comes in, pokes the ball away, and it's a turnover in a tie game with a minute and a half left. Just a wasted, a waste, a completely wasted possession. Now, I'm going to put most of it on Gobert, but somebody's got to get the ball. You can't just stand on the sideline and be defended. I mean, you got to go get the ball out of his hands. you got to go get it. It's not purely on Rudy, but nonetheless, Rudy, what are you doing? Rudy, Rudy. I tweeted out, the only gift for that moment is that one where Quinn just turns his head and he's just baring his teeth, just gritting his teeth. He just looks like he wants to tear into somebody. That was so frustrating. But don't be thinking about that when you go to the free throw line with six or seven seconds left. Just be focused on the free throws and hit them. And he did. And then Brandon Ingram missed at the buzzer and the Jazz got out of there with a win. So we talked about them needing to win... uh, Win at least uh, three of these eight games, and preferably go five and three. I think if they go five and three, they'll end up in a decent spot. Uh, and they went out and they, they got the first one, so there's that. All right, let's listen to Rudy Gobert's post game comments now on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Uh, Lucas, he's from Cafe Belgrado. Hi, Rudy. Congratulations on the win. After experiencing the first real game of the bubble, what's your thoughts about the environment? Obviously, obviously, the, it's very different. But it's, is it too different at the point that may affect a player's performance? I think we, we've been put in the, in the best and sometimes safest uh, environment possible. You know, I think uh, the few days were obviously a lot of things were in place when we got there. But now, like, you know, the food is, is a lot better. The, obviously, the, the safety protocol is, is uh, top of the line, you know, and, uh, and uh, we got good infrastructure and all that. So it, I think we, we've been put in a, you know, very good position to be able to play at the highest level every day. Okay, next question, Andy Larson, Salt Lake Tribune. Hey, Rudy, wanted to ask just, I mean, for everything that's happened to you and for you uh, over the last four months, what was the impact of you scoring the first points of the game on kind of how you felt about things and then obviously hitting the game-winning points? Does that have any symbolic importance to you? Life works in a mysterious way, you know, and uh, I'm just happy, blessed to be able to, you know, be back on the court, uh, do what I love to do, to, you know, 
uh, be back out there with my teammates and, and try to win the game. You know, I think it was pretty important for us to try to start on a positive note. And, uh, you know, now we're just going to keep getting better and better. And, uh, and you know, it's, uh, it's a great feeling to be back. Okay, Thank next you. question, Tony Jones, The Athletic. Uh, what did you guys do in, in order to, to be more um, uh, to be more effective on Brandon Ingram, especially down the stretch? And, uh, you know, what were you guys' thoughts in terms of getting back into the game? Was there kind of like, hey, we want to be within eight, we want to be within six during, uh, during the stretch uh, to try to make a run? We just try to make it tough on him. Uh, Royce did a tremendous job down the stretch, you know, and uh, hit a lot of tough shots early on. But we try to, you know, keep him off the line and try to hit him to test his shots. I mean, he made a few, but he missed, he missed some, and we were able to come up with the board and, and, and run on the other end. So Royce O'Neill did a tremendous job. There are Rudy Gobert's post-game comments. All right, when we come back, more to come still later in this hour. The best of the Jazz post game show. You hear a lot of uh, post game comments from the Jazz, Coach Quinn Snyder, and some of the players. But uh, coming up next, Dan Feldman, NBC Sports. Big picture with him on what he expects over these eight games and how teams are going to line up as they get to the playoffs. Dan Feldman is coming up next. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK brought to you in part by WCF Insurance, reminding you to be careful out there. Time to welcome in Dan Feldman, NBA writer for NBC Sports Pro Basketball Talk. Dan, good morning. Hey, how are you doing? Good. We are curious as the NBA resets. How many things are going to be real and how many things are going to be goofy because this whole year is just bizarre. They're doing the best they can, so don't criticize it, but the bubble's weird. Or, hey, just look at the standings. It's the Lakers, it's the Clippers, it's the Bucks. It's a three-way fight for the title. Everybody else wants to get as deep into the playoffs as they can. You know, I think there's far more room for variability this year than a typical year because of everything that's happened, a long layoff, uh, you know, some players uh, might still be dealing with effects of coronavirus even if they're on the floor uh, you know they lost training time they lost training time while quarantined when reporting to the bubble uh, when players are away for what would normally be a, a quick absence maybe for a birth of a child you go for a day to experience that now you've got a quarantine when you come back so all these things that can make this wonky uh, but on the other hand I was relatively surprised with the seating game or excuse me the scrimmages uh, of how high the level of play was it looked normal and so that makes me think, you know, going into the seeding games, going into the playoffs, maybe this will be a little bit more normal than we expected. When you speak of normal, I actually think it might be, in a sense, better than normal because so much attention is going to be focused on what we're about to have happen, particularly when we get to the postseason. And with the social issues that the players want to be a part of, that's going to draw attention. And then they know that they're going to be in the postseason here 
pretty soon, so it's going to have an inordinate amount of attention, and players love attention, particularly if it's positive. So I'm thinking that the Stars, particularly LeBron James, is going to be even more excited, and we're going to see more of him, and maybe we can argue, even though at his advanced age, we're going to see the best of LeBron, certainly the best that he has to offer. That's what I think. How would you respond to that? So as far as the attention, I think when for NBA players, when they're in it, it's close to feeling maximized. Like from the outside, you might say, yeah, I'm paying more attention to the NBA uh, than I would normally because, you know, there aren't other sports going on. Like, you know, a lot of times I might split my attention, watch some hockey, uh, but now I'm all focused on the NBA because that's back first. Like, it, it might be that to some degree from the outside, but I think from the inside, players are just used to what they consider maximum attention. They already believe that everything is about them. Uh, as far as stars playing more, I think it'll go the other way just because of the training. You know, having this long hiatus, it's hard to train. It's hard to be in full game shape. So I think it's the opposite. I think depth is going to matter more this year than usual. I don't think stars are going to be able to handle those huge minutes in the playoffs uh, like they often do. They'll still play a lot. You know, I don't think it's going to be crazy low, but I think just a little bit lower than a normal year. We always hear that travel takes a lot of people out of uh, players, and certainly you travel in your personal life and you're tired when you get there and all that. Are we going to see a higher level of play because these guys aren't flying, or could it be there and we just don't notice it because it cancels it out because it's the same for both teams? Neither one of them are flying. Right, exactly. It's hard to see. It's hard to tell. And then the flip side of that is, no, they're not flying, uh, but they're also playing games more frequently. Uh, it's more of an every-other-day situation, which isn't always the case in the playoffs. Oftentimes there's an extra day of rest because of the travel. So I think those things are most likely to cancel out, but who knows? We've never seen anything like this. It, that's why I say it's so unpredictable, uh, because we, it's just so unique. I mean, it's, it's never been anything like this. Such a long hiatus, the longest in-season hiatus ever before this was like a week and this is you know months and months whether it's portland getting their guys back healthy or maybe the sixers who had a lousy road record and now there are no home and road games do you see this layoff and the situation that we have benefiting any teams uh, it's a good question uh you know the, the first answer is going to be yes uh, the second answer is I'm not sure exactly who. We can see the signs, right? I think it's there for Portland with their players getting healthy, although they still don't have a, a credible small forward. I don't count Carmel Anthony as that, even though he overachieved as more of a power forward. Uh, so I'm not sure how much it's going to matter to get a couple of bigs and Yusuf Nurkic and Zach Collins back. I think uh, the 76ers still are that same high-ceiling, low-floor team. But I, I think there's probably a team out there that has done an exceptional job of staying in shape that their players, maybe coincidentally, maybe randomly, just happen to have better access to the home gyms during the hiatus, uh, maybe happen to be players who are better at self-motivating, uh, you know, a skill that they don't often need during the season when they're around their, their teammates, when they're feeding off each other, who are just better at being driven when they're alone. And that team is going to be in good shape, but I don't know who that is. But I do think, yeah, between 22 teams, one of them probably fits those conditions. So of the, the, let's say you got the three favorites that we all acknowledge we've got to keep an eye on. Is there a team that you think is built for this, a team you're keeping your eye on, a team like this team really could break through? 
Well, I, I like the Rockets as the championship dark horse, and I, I thought that even before the hiatus, and I'm not sure if I feel any more or less strongly about it now because of the hiatus, but they, they play such a distinctive style going to small ball. They have the stars in James Harden, Russell Westbrook. They're complementary players like P.J. Tucker, Robert Covington. They fit the scheme. It works well for them, and it just disrupts what better teams want to do, what all teams want to do. You know, you can't really play your traditional style against the Rockets. They're used to that. They're used to putting their imprint on the game. And so, yeah, they're the type of team I look at that has enough talent, that has something a little funky to them that could, uh, that could surprise some people. How about the Nuggets with the much skinnier Jokic? You think that that's going to make a difference? Uh, pros and cons with that. He's so good in the post carving out space uh, that he might lose some of that, but maybe he'll be better conditioned. Maybe he'll defend better. Like A lot of things that he does well, the passing, the shooting, those should all still work. Uh, so it could be good. It, it could be a little bit of an adjustment for him as he has to transform his game. Usually being in better shape is good, uh, but he used his weight well when he had it, so we'll see. I'm also not sure, even if it does help them, uh, I'm not sure it changes where they are in the league. They're, they're a good team, but a team that maybe I don't look at as, you know, in that top tier or even second tier of championship contenders. I, I think the Nuggets are were in the middle of that either way. Talking NBA right now, talking NBA restart with uh, Dan Feldman, NBA writer for NBA, NBC Sports Pro Basketball Talk. Uh, jazz fans obviously curious, how much of a loss is Bogdanovich? So the question, how much of a loss is Bogdanovich? <laughs> I think huge. I, I rate him as the, the biggest loss, the biggest unexpected loss of anybody going into this bubble. Uh, with him, I, I saw the Jazz as a team with a championship chance a team that would need every break to go their way, but if it did, they could win a title. And without that, I probably have them as an underdog in the first round. Uh, he was such a superb scorer, fit so well, uh, provided that offensive punch. And I, I particularly think it's concerning for Utah uh, because of everything going on with Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell. Uh, there's a chance for them to repair their relationship, and nothing helps more than winning. Uh, but it, it seems like things aren't completely smoothed smoothed over yet and nothing can exacerbate those problems more than losing so at the time where if i'm the jazz i absolutely want to be at my best and i don't think that's going to be possible without bogdanovich how do you think the social activism will mesh with the actual competition i think that it's going to go well you know i think nba players are capable of walking and chewing gum at the same time. They've been doing this for a while. We've seen uh, plenty of players uh, active on these fronts before doing things while excelling. I mean, LeBron is the the prime example, but but there are many others, players who can balance it, and I think they'll continue to balance it, continue to uh, raise these important issues, and uh, continue to work just like a lot of people, right? You know, there are thousands of people protesting in the streets, a lot of them have jobs that they care about and do well at also. People can do more than one thing at once. So do you think this is going to cost the NBA a significant number of fans, a small number of fans, no fans at all? How much of an impact is it going to have on that end of it? Yeah, tough to say. Probably it costs them a small number of fans, but maybe build some loyalty from the fans they keep. I'm not sure if it will gain new fans. 
at this point. Uh, I think it, there will be a lot of performative fan losses, people who weren't that interested before pretending that they're so appalled and can never watch the NBA again when they really weren't watching the NBA that much in the first place. Like, if you like basketball, you like basketball. Like, if you don't care about the social justice messages players are espousing, that's fine. Uh, but to care so much that they're doing it that you don't watch basketball, uh, I don't really get that. Yeah, I agree with you on that. I'm wondering if they have to up the ante because if everybody's kneeling, then by the 10th game, it's not really that newsworthy. Everyone's doing it, and it sort of becomes the way of life. So I'm wondering if you see them trying to approach it from a different aspect. You know, I do think kneeling is still a very highly effective form of protest. It's not as effective as it was a few years ago when Colin Kaepernick started doing it, and NBA players didn't. Right? They made a point to demonstrate during the national anthem, but said collectively, individually, we're not going to kneel. Nobody did. And that's when it was the most controversial. That's when it drew the most attention. And thankfully, uh, as part of that attention, there was at least some discussion of why Colin Kaepernick was kneeling, that he was kneeling to protest racism, particularly through police brutality. And people were so up in arms about him kneeling, they had no choice but to at least talk a little bit about the issue, learn a little bit about the issue. And I think that will still continue. I think there are enough people who would be bothered by kneeling uh, that it will raise attention to the uh, important issue. So I think it's a, a still a very effective form of protest, even if it's not as effective as it used to be. LeBron is obviously going to do his thing on the social justice front. Is he going to get back to doing his thing in the NBA Finals? There were eight straight, and then there was a miss, but he was injured. They didn't have AD yet. How certain are you? And you see Houston's a dark horse. Clippers are contender. Can you put a number on the percentage chance the Lakers have of getting back to the finals with LeBron? Yeah, I think it's less than 50% because I would favor the Clippers. Now, I do think the Lakers and Clippers are, like, the top two by far. Uh, but the Rockets are looming. There are plenty of other teams in the West with all the variability that we talked about that could sneak in. So I, I think the Lakers are the second most likely team in the West, and that puts them – I don't know, somewhere around high 30% chance of making the finals, which is a big number. It sounds low to some people who might not understand odds. High 30% is a huge number for a team that's a great credit to them. But the Clippers are awesome, too, and it's a deep field with a lot of teams that have a chance. Have you determined, uh, I know we're not supposed to look at these games as I understand it, but in your mind, have you determined between LeBron and Antetokounmpo as MVP, or do you have somebody else? Yeah, I think it's Giannis. He was, he was uh, I would say, nearly as good as James Harden offensively and also my pick for defensive player of the year. He was great. Uh, I think if the season continued, LeBron had an outside chance to catch Giannis. But as things stood, when, when things stopped, and that's when MVP is supposed to be chosen, honestly, I think LeBron was closer to James Harden for second and third than he was to Giannis for first. Is Giannis ready to win a championship? And if not, what is the missing piece of the puzzle? You know, he, he might be. Uh, I don't think he was ready last year. I don't think there was a bigger believer in how good the Bucks were throughout the season last year than me. But also recognize that they hadn't been tested in the playoffs. Uh, they had a, a tough series against the Raptors because the Raptors had so many veterans who knew the, the tricks of how to compete in the playoffs. I think there's something, too. You get deep in the playoffs, the attention is magnified, the level of play is magnified, all your flaws are exposed. Uh, you know, Giannis, we talked about his three-pointer. I think his ability to play off contact, to 
to get bumped from his ideal spot inside but still be able to convert, that will be a huge step for him. I think he's ready to take it. I think last year uh, really gave him that resolve, but we'll have to see. A lot of teams, almost all teams, all players who win a championship, they go through some playoff heartbreak first. Some of that happened for the Bucks last year. Maybe enough, but maybe not. He's Dan Feldman, NBA writer for NBC Sports Pro Basketball Talk. Dan, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for coming on with us. Thanks for having me. There's Dan Feldman, NBC Sports. Always interesting to get the uh, the the viewpoint of somebody who uh, you know isn't local, doesn't root for the Jazz, doesn't have a dog in the fight. What do they like? What don't they like? What are the problems? Uh, you know, what are the potential successes there? So good to hear from Dan Feldman. Feldman, we appreciate him joining the show. Now, the Jazz got the win, of course. They beat the Pelicans, one oh six, one oh four. So they officially move 19 games over now, right? 42 and 23. And for everybody who wants a Pelicans-Grizzlies uh, playoff series, uh, you know, I would think they're pretty happy in Memphis. Pretty happy with Mike Conley and the Jazz right now doing them a favor. Give the Pelicans a loss and give them another loss. Of course, the Grizzlies have so many teams chasing them, they really have to take care of their own business, so they got to win. You gotta win. If they win, then all this other stuff will help out, and they can uh, they can pull away. Otherwise, it'll be in those a two game playoff series, and they'll just have to win one of the two. And whoever is ninth will have to have to win them both. Kind of an odd setup, but you get what the league is kind of going for here as they try to move things along. You know, why go best of three? Give the eight seed a little bit of advantage. They've earned it over the course of the regular season. So kind of an odd deal, but you, know, you kind of kind of get where they're going there. All right, here's where we're going. Coming up next, it's the best of the Jazz post game show. As they beat the Pelicans, they get a day off, and then they're right back at it uh, Saturday. It's, it's every other day. Saturday, Monday. Lakers coming up Monday, so you got that to look forward to. But you got the best of the post game show next. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. The NBA restarted the season with a couple games. The Lakers beat the Clippers 103-101. The Jazz beat the Pelicans 106-104. A couple of two-point games to get things going. Now the Jazz get the day off. They'll be back at it uh, tomorrow. Right now we're going to let you listen to the best of the post-game show as the Jazz take down the Pelicans. Your Jazz recap here on DJ and PK, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Jake Scott with you. The Jazz got things started in the bubble on the, on a winning way. They beat the Pelicans 106-104. They are now 42-23 and on this resumed season. Very exciting game. Uh, Donovan Mitchell uh, crashing the lane in the final 10 seconds with a dish to Rudy Gobert. Rudy went up for a dunk, fouled, makes both free throws. Brandon Ingram misses the last second three on the other end, and the Jazz come away with a two-point victory very exciting game uh, filled with some good play, some not so good play. The second half certainly much better uh, for the Utah Jazz but let's uh, let you hear some sound from the post game. Let's start with Jazz head coach Quinn Snyder. The first one is from Tony Jones, The Athletic. Hey coach, two part question for you. Um, can What was it about your, your guys' resilience uh, to fight through 
uh, a really rough stretch in 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 the uh, second and third quarters, and and uh, I saw that you changed up your coverages a little bit on Ingram. Uh, how were you guys able to be more successful with him in the second half than the first half? Well, to be honest, Tony, we didn't change any coverages. We just started being more disciplined. You know, I thought there was a stretch where we were just doing a lot of reaching. Um, and you know we were off balance and they were getting getting to the rim they, i think they had half their points in the first half from the paint so i, I just think we got more solid um as the game progressed you know we kind of set a goal in the fourth quarter so you know let's let's have our best defensive quarter you know and, and i think as the game went on um you know, we, we did become more solid. Our defensive rebounding at the end, um, Royce getting on the glass uh, was really good. We got hurt a lot in transition um, during the middle part of the game where they hit some threes. But as you said, you know, th this is a team that um, – you know, this is, is going to have to find itself and to be able to come back like that um, and really to do it on the defensive end and then have some, you know, some explosive basketball from Jordan Clarkson. I thought Donovan played um, just terrific. He and Mike both, um, you know, and for Donovan to find Rudy at the end of the game there is, is a heck of a play. And then Rudy goes in, you know, makes the two free throws. So lots of things we can build on, um, but obviously also have work to do. Next is from Kristen Kenny, Jazz TV. Welcome back, Coach. Uh, I just want to ask you just the first time back uh, in an actual game that really counts and just what your thoughts are on the chemistry and flow from the group tonight. Well, it seemed like more than a singular game. You know, there, there's been so much that's happened um, since we last played um, with COVID and all the people that have been fighting for that with the social justice issues. The anthem was powerful. You know, it's an honor to be there with coaches and players. Um, so it did feel like um, something more than just a singular game. And, um, you know, I just, we feel really blessed and fortunate to be able to be playing right now. Um, you know, so many people uh, fighting through challenging and difficult times. Next we'll go Eric Walden, Salt Lake Tribune. Quinn, you kind of alluded to this a little bit, but just given everything that had happened, especially with the relationship between Don and Rudy, was it poetic at all to you to have, you know, the game come down to Donovan feeding Rudy the ball on the on the ultimate play? I don't know if, if I'd say poetic. Um, I don't think either one of those guys are writing poetry, but they certainly had some synergy on the court. And, uh, you know, it, it, I'd love them to, to write poetry. They're, uh, and, but just to see them connected like that um, was really – was really good and I, I think we've we've moved on from from all that stuff and we've been here practicing and working and you know we've talked about using this entire experience to get better and I think those two guys have done that too they just sometimes it's just what you do on the court and getting more connected and um, even from an execution standpoint and that's one of the things we're seeing next is a question from Sarah Todd Deseret News 
Quinn, in those moments when you don't have Rudy on the floor, I mean, especially early on in the game, the defense was having a really rough time uh, holding anything down. Is there anything that you can do for that group or that you can change for that group? Or is it just about them kind of getting in a rhythm and executing better? Well, there's always, you know, adjustments that you can try to make. You know, as I said, this is the first time when we talk about that group. Um, you know, our bench has had great moments. Um, you know, about the six-minute mark, I thought offensively the ball started to stick. And then when you're not making shots, which we didn't, um, it becomes even more difficult to defend on the other end. So um, I think I think we can do better in a lot of areas on the game. And I know the guys that were in there during that period, I, you know, all you have to do is kind of look to the second half um, and see what happened then. That's the same group that, that really cut into that lead and, and guys competed and did some good things. Tim McMahon, ESPN. Thank you. Um, Donovan had eight straight points there down the stretch before he hit Rudy. Uh, what did you think of Donovan's kind of combination of assertiveness and, and decision-making uh, down the stretch of the game on the line? You know, as I said before, I, I think Donovan was terrific. And, you know, it's making those decisions, you know, we, we kind of talk about it like it's just, you know, we're sitting around and making a decision the way you, you know, order dinner. And it's just not like that. So for him to be able to, to get in the lane and make the right read and, you know, and attack the rim and then also – as you said, um, you know, to make the play that he did late and drop the ball off to Rudy and then have Rudy make the two free throws. That that shows a lot of confidence in your teammate. Um, and maybe I'll change my mind and say it is poetic, but I don't want to overstate it too much. Those guys have done that hundreds and hundreds of times the last two years. Um, you know, the, the, the time that they've been playing together. And uh, it's great to see him, you know, connecting on the court. And we had a lot of that. You know, I thought Mike did the same thing. And, you know, we started getting more comfortable in finding each other. Uh, Dan Wykey, Los Angeles Times. Hi, Quinn. I hate to use the word poetic, too, but Rudy scored the first two points of the restart. Um, was that a play that you wanted to get him the ball um, in, in that position there? Yeah, you know, I think you know, part of Rudy, you know, we challenge him to, you know, to play through things. And, and there's long stretches where he, you know, he doesn't get to handle the ball. And, you know, that's the nature of his position and, and what his skill set is. And, you know, it's hard to be patient in those situations. Everybody wants to have an opportunity to make an impact on offense. And he, he impacts the game so many ways, but oftentimes it's not, you know, with his scoring. So to the extent that we can get him, some touches early, give him an opportunity to finish. And it's good to see him, him making his free throws is a huge thing. But, you know, whether it's after a timeout at the beginning of the game, beginning of the half, where we have a chance to, to do something for him and try to orchestrate a little something to help him, you know, we want to do that. Our last question is from Ben Anderson, kslsports.com. Quinn, it seemed like the second unit struggled in the first half, but Jordan really came on in the second half and gave you a big boost. What, what did you see from him and that group? Well, one of, one of the biggest problems we had in, in the first half, and it's always, you know, it's a subtle thing, but it's such an important thing, is our spacing. Um, and when we don't space well, you know, there aren't driving lines. And when Jordan has space on the floor to work, you know, he's really difficult to guard. And that's what you saw in the second half. Even, you know, George Yang 
for example, didn't didn't make shots tonight. Royce didn't make shots early. Um, we had a lot of guys that that had some looks that you know we're confident they can take. But regardless, they have to be spaced, and some of those shots were harder than they needed to be. But as we did a better job of spacing the floor, JC was able to you know to to create and get to the rim. There you go, Jazz head coach Quinn Snyder after his team beat the Pelicans 106 to 104. Let's now let you hear from Donovan Mitchell. Don, uh, Donovan last night, 20 points on 6 of 14 shooting. He had 5 assists, 5 rebounds, 3 steals. Good overall game for Donovan Mitchell. 2 of 4 from 3, 6 of 7 from the line and had this to say after the game. We're going to have first question coming from Tony Jones, the athletic. Hey, Donovan. Hold on, sorry. I got my speaker a little bit. Can you hear me? Yeah, you're good. Uh, what does it say that you guys uh, can win a game like this without playing particularly well uh, through most of the game? Um, just resiliency. You know, I think the team, like I said, we've, we've been through tough stretches throughout the year. This was, you know, just trying to find our groove. We had it to really start the game, and then after that, kind of went down downhill. They started to kind of dictate, you know, us, our game on both ends of the floor. So we started to just compete. You know, it's not always going to go your way every night, but as long as you keep fighting, you'll find a way to get back and be confident. All right, next question will be from Kristen Kenny, Jazz TV. <laughs> Don, I know you talked about this a little bit, but it seemed like that second half, you guys really started to make more of a concerted effort to get to the rim. Uh, what, what was the difference there? And then also just, you know, found a way when the three wasn't fallen, right? And guys like uh, with the offensive rebounds with, by Mike Conley, that was huge. Yeah, I think the biggest thing is kind of putting pressure on them. You know, when they all kind of go to the boards, at least Rudy, Tony, and Royce, and like you said, Mike had one as well. Just kind of get on the old boards and just trying to make a make a play. And on, on the flip side of that, I think defensively, I think we got on the boards and we guarded it particularly well, which allowed us to kind of get out and transition, make certain plays, and continue to find those driving lanes. Okay, next question, Eric Walden, Salt Lake Tribune. Hey, Donovan, you had that stretch uh, late in the fourth where you scored eight points in a row, I think, and then you follow that up by drawing and save and, and dishing to Rudy to send him to the free throw line. Is it kind of poetic at all that given everything that's transpired over the last few months that, you know, it comes down to the two of you making those huge plays at the end? Yeah, I mean, hopefully that kind of stops y'all from talking about it, to be honest with you. Um, I think at the end of the day, you know, we're, make, we're basketball players about to make the right plays. He did a hell of a job today. I try to find my way and find guys and get open. And I think for, for me, it's at the end of the game, uh, making the right read. You know, I, I've told y'all a thousand times I'm trying to, you know, become a better passer, a better playmaker as a whole. And I think just being able to do that in that situation, I think just shows that the steps I'm trying to make. And, you know, he made two free throws. I'm just trusting him and him trusting me. Uh, I think that's, the end. that's really what it is. And it's not even just me and him. It's everybody, you know, making the pass to uh, to Jason, the corner, although he missed, Mike trusting uh, Royce on the going catch. Like, there's so many different things that we're able to do. But, yeah, kind of uh, he had the first two points, you know, and for that to end it, I think, you know, it kind of should kind of seal everything as far as the talking about all that extra stuff. Okay, um, next question we have from Malika Andrews, ESPN. She's there with you. Um, 
you know, we all had a play. We had a players meeting um, as everybody kind of our, at our hotel and the kind of branched out to everybody else. I think uh, the biggest thing was just finding something we all do together. I think uh, I got to give Matisse Tybal his credit. You know, he was the one that said we should do something around the Black Lives Matter, Matter science. I got to give him his credit for sure. And I brought it to them and I was like, look, this is what we want to do. And, you know, credit to everybody that, that was a part of it. We appreciate the support because, you know, like I said, you know, the game was great. We won by two. But at the end of the day, Breonna, Breonna Taylor's killers are still free. There's so many different things that we can honestly talk about. I'm going to continue to talk about Breonna Taylor because uh, that's near and dear to me. You know, I played, obviously played college basketball there, but, you know, continue to, to make it on the, keep it on the forefront of people's minds. You know, and I think they want, want to do something as well. And just being able to bring that to them and being able to do it uh, just showed how collectively as a group and as a league, we're going to continue to keep that on everybody's mind. Yeah, I was curious, from a historical lens, I mean, you have the popular Joe Rosie, punished for not standing with the national anthem. Sorry. You, not me, I do. I'm punished for not standing during the national anthem in 2017. It was Mark Tatum reiterating to people that the national anthem is something you must stand for and help players now. And then now you have Adam Silver saying he doesn't actually want to enforce that 1981 rule. What do you make of, of that change? I think, you know, we've grown. You know, I think we've, we're going to start, I think it's, it's, I look at Cap, you know, obviously, um, I think I look at Cap as a guy who kind of got really hit hard for that, you know, and now to see how far we've gone from that, you know, just shows the progress, but it's, it's not enough. I think we need to continue doing more and, and I think it's on us as players to go out there and use our voice, use our platforms. I think the guys who are at the top, obviously, you got LeBron, you got Kawhi, Katie, Steph, like CP, those guys have done a great job of allowing everybody to feel free to go out there and speak out. And I think just ways like this, you know, we, we know how both teams are renewing today. They, I believe they did the same. I think we're going to, like I said, continue to do that and continue to speak on it, even in the interviews and every chance we get, whether it's on social media. And then you look at guys like Drew Holiday, Patty Mills, being able to give their salaries to, to, to do, like donating their salaries to black businesses or whatever it may be. So I think it just shows that guys all around want to do something and for us as a league to come that far to be able to kind of be on the forefront and be like, this is what we want to do. This is what we're going to do. And I really ask him for permission. I think that's, that's pretty special. That was Donovan Mitchell. Again, 20 points for Donovan, five rebounds, five assists. Mike Conley had 20 points last night to go along with his four assists. And Jordan Clarkson led all scores, uh, tied with Brandon Ingram, actually, but uh, certainly led the Jazz. 23 points, eight of 17 shooting, only one of eight from three. He had five boards, three assists, and two steals, but was rock solid in the second half and uh, at the beginning of the fourth quarter where the Jazz uh, chipped away at the Pelicans' lead eventually to overtake them and come away with the win 106-104. Next Jazz game will be tomorrow night or I almost said night. Tomorrow afternoon from the bu- bubble in Orlando. The game will tip off at 1:30. Uh the uh, pregame will begin at 12:30 right here on the Zone Radio Network. All right, there is the best of the postgame shows. The Jazz beat the Pelicans. Now presumably the task will get a little tougher as they face the Thunder on Saturday and then the Lakers on Monday. That Saturday game is going to be Saturday afternoon at 1:30 early game there. All right, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, what is trending? All the headlines. We're getting to them next. Stay with us. And then uh, Tim Brando's coming up to talk college football. Fox Sports announcer. Uh, I've had him on the show a lot. The SEC has come out with their 10-game conference-only schedule. Seems that's where everyone's going. Now we're just waiting on the Big 12. Uh, The ACC is going to play 10 plus 1, but it's not totally clear who the plus 1 will be against because it seemed like they were setting that up to play four SEC games and so that's not happening, but maybe they'll just keep one of the games that's already on their schedule. We'll have to see if they can 
play somebody. Maybe they'll, they'll get somebody worked in. All right, DJ PK, Tim Brando, talking football at 730. What is trending next? Stay with us.